morning, everyone. Welcome to the continuing series on 1 Peter. You know, as you begin a series, you kind of wonder where it's going to take you. <clears throat> and what's been really clear as we've traced the thoughts of Peter throughout his book, that it really is a lot about suffering, isn't it? And I think this is such a timely message for us because I think we experience all kinds of suffering in our lives. And so to be able to spend some time really uh, drilling down and trying to understand what is God doing in the midst of our suffering and trials is, I think, a really helpful thing to do. And so we're continuing in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. And this is really, if there's any part of 1 Peter that's talking about suffering, this is it. It says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Now, the idea here is, is the fiery ordeal is like a refining. When we think of metal <clears throat> being... Um, being melted down and then the dross is on the top, the impurities are taken off. This is the kind of thing that's being described here as a refining fire. Do not be surprised at the fiery uh, ordeal that has come on you to test you. And this is going to be the main thing that we're going to be looking at this morning, this idea of testing. As though something strange were happening to you. Now, in a sense, he says, look, don't be surprised that you're suffering right now as though something strange were happening to you. Well, the thing that the church is doing is they're trying to be good. And uh, Peter is saying, don't be surprised when you try to do good that there's going to be some kind of opposition coming your way. Isn't that interesting? I usually think that being good would earn, you know, uh, people's admiration of us. But he seems to be saying, no, that something else actually happens when we try to do good. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So be happy about this kind of suffering that he's talking about because you're looking like Jesus and you're going to be with him when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted or shamed because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of that glory is how one version says, and even of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. So he's talking about a specific kind of suffering it's not about doing bad or even about necessarily um, hard circumstances. There's a different kind of thing going on, which we'll unpack in just a moment. <clears throat> However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. We suffer for the name of Christ. For it is time for judgment, and that word means testing again. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. If it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what would become of the ungodly and the sinner? So he's saying, look, you're going through a time of, of suffering, and, uh, and this is a time of testing, and uh, be sobered by it. These are challenging words. So then, in verse 19, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Or another version says, by, they commit themselves to their faithful creator by continuing to do good. So that's what faithfulness looks like, is, is doing good. So let's ask a few questions about this passage. The first is, what is suffering? So if it's not about difficult circumstances, like uh, <clears throat> physical sickness or something like that, which I think we, we've all gone through, it's not particularly talking about that. If it's not the kind of suffering that comes as the result of sinning, where... Hard things happen when we break the law 
and, uh, and do harmful things to others. What is the suffering that Peter's talking about? Well, here he's talking about a form of testing. That uh, we are being tested, whether we're being devoted to Jesus. So suffering and testing, in Peter's mind, are woven together as one thought. <clears throat> the reason why we suffer uh, for the name is we're being tested in terms of our devotion to Christ. So testing is a big deal. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel a little bit uncomfortable about the idea of testing, don't you? Uh, when we hear the message of Jesus, it sounds like we get our sins forgiven and we just kind of get written a free ticket and here you go, you're into heaven. And I like that idea, but it seems as though Peter is talking about a kind of testing that also needs to occur as we follow Christ. And uh, I used to be a, a woodwork teacher, shop teacher. And so back when I was studying how to do that, we took all the courses, mechanics and, and, uh, and metal. <clears throat> and I remember in the metal course, we would test metals. And so we had all kinds of machines. It was kind of fun. We had one that would test the sheer strength of a piece of metal. So we put some metal and then swing this huge weight against it and see, uh, you know, when it would shear off. Or we'd test the malleability of a, of a metal by stretching it. We had all these kinds of tests. <clears throat> and so what the test was doing was seeing the characteristics of the metal. Well, this is exactly what happens when you and I suffer for the name of God. Our devotion to him is being tested to seeing uh, what it's really like. Sometimes you can't tell what something is like in normal life. It needs to be, in terms of the metals, tested by being stretched or pulled or, or cut. And so the way that our uh, lives are tested is when we encounter suffering. So what is being tested? Well, we've already alluded to it. But in uh, chapter 1, verse 7, it's made explicit. We suffer grief and all kinds of trials to prove the genuineness of our faith. <clears throat> so the thing that God is testing in you and I is our faith, whether we trust in him. This is the thing that he is uh, he's, uh, seeing what kind of quality of faith we have. Why? Because our faith is the most important quality of our lives. You know, we can think that improving our personality or <clears throat> um, um, just the, you know, the, the place that we live or how much money we earn, that these are really important life qualities. Well, according to scripture, the most important part of who you are is your, is your trust in Jesus Christ. It's the thing that First uh, Peter describes as being more precious than gold. So this is a big deal. And so God's testing what kind of faith we have. Now, what is the test that determines the quality of our faith? Well, we've said it's suffering, but in verse 19, it makes it even more explicit. That in the midst of suffering, verse 19 says, um, that we would continue to do good. So we're passing the test that suffering brings to test to see what our faith is like uh, by continuing to do good. In the verse before it, it says continue to obey the gospel. And these things, of course, are all um, different ways of saying whether we stay loving or not. 
So here's the point. The quality of our trust in Jesus Christ is determined by whether we stay loving in the midst of suffering. That's interesting, isn't it? So will you and I, when difficulty comes our way, do we stay loving or do we go off in some other direction in order to, uh, you know, in order to, uh, to deal with our difficulties? What is a sign that we're actually succeeding in staying loving? Well, according to this passage, a sign of a passing grade, as it were, is if we're insulted. Uh, This is so interesting to me because, again, as I said at the start, it's, I think that if I do good, I'm just going to be praised by everybody around me because who doesn't like a good person, right? Well, uh, what we find in this passage is that if we really love God and love others, we're actually going to be insulted for that. We're going to be shamed is, a, is another way of uh, interpreting that word. Why would the world be insulted Uh, and shame us, persecute us for standing for the name of Jesus and and living the way that he lived. Why would would they do that? Well, I think that the world hates the fact that our faith is exclusive. We we, uh, We don't devote ourselves to any other name except the name of Jesus. And this is insulting. In our culture, Uh, you can devote yourself to whatever name you want, just so long as you don't describe it as being the exclusive one name that we should be devoted to. Because we understand things as just being about personal choice. And personal choice, of course, is is a really big deal in our culture. But what the Christian says is that there's only one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And our ultimate allegiance must be to him. And the way that we express that trust and devotion and allegiance to him is by obeying his law, not our law, not what we think is right, but we do what he says is right. Well, this is offensive, isn't it? Because people want to do what's right in their own eyes. They want to have their own morality and not be judged for it. And so the Christian comes along and does good, but does good for the reason of being devoted to the Lord Jesus and doing what he says. And what he says often runs contrary to what the world prescribes as good and bad. So not only do we have a singular devotion to Christ, but we do what he says that often runs contrary to the world's morality. One of the most pressing examples of this, of course, today is the idea of, uh, of homosexuality and of of gender fluidity, and uh, being able to express our sexuality in whatever way that we want. Well, the Bible actually says that to do that would be unloving. Now, uh, you know, I've read a lot of the literature, and there's lots of Christians that have come along and says, said, you know what, that's not what the Bible says. And usually their, their arguments start with the idea that back in that time, and then they'll say something that they think that they've discovered outside of Scripture that kind of better explains Scripture. But here's, there's just one thing that's helpful 
uh, I think, for us to know that there's no ancient Jewish writer during the time in which the Bible was written ever condoned homosexuality. So uh, people whose original language is biblical Hebrew, uh, you know, they're, they're closer to the source, a better understanding never was the Old Testament ever interpreted by them as endorsing homosexuality. <clears throat> that's just right there, that's helpful to know. And then the church, as the church came along, uh, the Christian church, no one ever contradicted that or ever supported homosexuality. So the people who are the closest to the source of when the Bible was written uh, in Hebrew and in Greek never condoned homosexuality. That's just true. Now, that's an uncomfortable truth. I get that. It's uncomfortable for me to somehow say that what everybody is doing in their expression of love, some of those expressions are not healthy and not ultimately loving. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to stand there and say that. But if I'm being true to Scripture, this is what Scripture teaches. And as a result, we're going to be hated because of that. How dare you tell me what I can consume, how I'm supposed to behave, who I'm supposed to worship. This Christian religion is very exclusive and very um, can run contrary to my values and the way that I want to live my life. And so this is what we face as Christians. And as we suffer for the name of Christ, it reveals whether our devotion really is an allegiance to Christ or whether it's to popular opinion, or to do what, um, you know, makes us be accepted by others. Suffering for the name of Christ reveals our faith and devotion to him. And if we are constantly looking the same as the world, that should be a cause for concern in our mind. I'm doing my devotions in uh, 1 John right now. And it says that, uh, that if we follow the world, we do not follow God. They're going in opposite directions. <clears throat> and so we need to count that cost, don't we? And we need to be honest that, hold on here. It seems as though most of the way, if not all of the way that I live, nobody in the world would really have a problem with that. Well, maybe I should be a little bit concerned about how I'm living. If the world just endorses all that I do, then maybe what God has called me to do is not really what I'm following. This is something to think about. So, suffering is a form of testing. What's being tested is our faith, our trust and devotion to Jesus Christ. And the test of our faith is whether we continue to do good, continue to be loving, even when there's pressure to do otherwise. <clears throat> what is the outcome as we pass the test, as it were? What is the outcome? In chapter 1, verse 9, it's very explicit, although it's mentioned in the passage we're looking at today. It says, the end result of your faith is the salvation of your souls. Now, I mean, if we think the first part was sobering, this is more sobering. The end result of passing the test of faith is salvation. I don't know anybody who's going to like that. 
We want salvation to be only about a gift that we are thoroughly passive in. So it's guaranteed. And I appreciate that. And scripture clearly teaches that salvation is a gift from God. But what we also read here is that our faith, which is being tested, results in salvation. These are, uh, these are hard things to grab hold of, aren't they? So here's the sobering reality. We can and often do fail at the test. In verse 18, it says, <clears throat> if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What is it saying? It's hard even for those who follow Jesus to be saved. Wow. It's hard to be saved. I mean, maybe you've read this before, but let's pause on it for a minute. It's hard to be saved. I just thought I just said yes and, you know, win the lottery. It's hard to be saved. So what is this passage speaking about? Is it saying that we earn our salvation? Is Peter contradicting the rest of scripture that says that salvation is a free gift? Is this all about works righteousness? Well, of course not. Um, what we talk about a lot in, uh, in transformations is that faith doesn't earn our salvation. Faith receives our salvation. You can't earn a gift, but we need to receive a gift, right? We talk about receiving a hug, you know, and if I just stand there, I'm not receiving the hug. It's being offered to me, but I'm not receiving it. The way that I receive it is I reciprocate. And so to have an eternal relationship with God uh, demands some kind of reciprocity, some kind of receiving of the love that's being offered us and responding in like kind. And then we have a, a relationship with him. And so our faith receives what God freely gives. But here's the point. Do you resent what Jesus asks of you? Do you resent that? Do you say, you know what? I don't like the fact that you have demands on my life. No, I want salvation to be all about what you do, not about what I do. I want my relationship with you to be all, uh, all about free things that you give me. That's what I want Christianity to be about. I like that kind of Christianity. Well, Peter is incredibly clear that the kind of Christianity that delivers us from sin and brings us into his eternal glory is one that's built upon the test of suffering, whether our faith is able to receive all that God wants to give. And that's evidenced by how we live and love him in return. This is a, I mean, this is a, this is a radical thought and it's a sobering thought, isn't it? It's clearly, it's hard for the righteous to be saved. And it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. You and I are being judged right now. We're being judged. Our faith is being tested to see whether we'll be devoted to Christ or we'll go the way of the world. What the, 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 the path of least resistance doing whatever brings us pleasure. So let's, uh, Jonathan referred to this um, in an earlier sermon, but let's just 
uh, apply it to this passage here. Often the way that we can look at our lives is our lives are lived in such a way and then we die. And then we either, at that moment, we either go to heaven or we go down to hell. And so that moment of our eternal destiny is kind of uh, determined on our deathbed. In a more biblical way of looking at how this works is we live here and the trajectory of our life heads in one of two directions, either toward heaven and the blessings found therein or toward hell and the condemnation that we find there. So our life is already heading there. It's not just a, a, something that happens at the end of our life. It's already heading in those directions. The way that we can tell is right now we are going through a testing period called our life. And as we um, choose faith, which looks like being loving, we are moving toward heaven. As we choose mistrust, which always leads to sin, we are moving toward hell. This is, what always, this is what's always going on in our life. We're moving in one of two directions. It's not like life is just a bunch of neutral choices. No, we're moving toward heaven or we're moving toward hell. And the way that we move is by practicing faith or mistrust. As we practice faith, trust in God, trusting him for the salvation of our souls and recognizing that it's a free gift. Then what that will look like is love. And that faith and love moves us towards our eternal destiny of where we long to be. But as we mistrust God and say, no, I know what's best. I'm my own Lord. I follow the ways of the world. There's no, there's no tension there. We end up sinning and produce the result of that sin, which is condemnation. So as we look at this, we realize just how critical the decisions in our life really are. They are, uh, they are sending us in a direction, not in a direction that earns heaven, but in a direction that receives heaven as the free gift that it is. But that faith is expressed in love. And if we're not willing to count that, then we really don't want relationship. We really don't want the gift of heaven as evidenced by our behavior. And so God will say, look, I've tested your faith and you don't really want a love relationship with me. So why would I give it to you? I'm not going to force you to have something that you clearly don't want. So I've tested your faith and it's not leading toward a relationship with me. So I'll honor your request and not give you the gift of salvation. This is what's going on. And this is what 1 Peter is emphasizing, that you and I are in a period of testing to refine our faith to receive the gift of salvation. Not to earn it, 
but to receive it. So uh, suffering and testing then are critical dimensions of love. If you and I try to empty or purge our life of suffering and testing, uh, we will uh, distance ourselves from a love relationship with God and others. If we just live a life of, of, of personal pleasure, making sure that the, the world around us likes us and that we're, we're on a journey of feeling better about ourselves and, and you know, bringing heaven to earth in a selfish kind of way by just doing whatever makes us happy, we're revealing where our faith lies. Not in the saving work of Christ, but in building our own kingdom of pleasure here and now. And the result of that will be condemnation. God says, I want you to trust in me. And when you trust in me, that always looks like living a loving life. And when you live a loving life, I will reward that with an eternity with me by my grace. So as we think about our lives and the daily decisions that we make, this is how we need to be thinking about these things. Understanding that love uh, that God is refining love through the suffering and testing that come in, comes into our life. And so how does Peter uh, exhort us to respond to this? To rejoice. Why? Why would we rejoice at being tested? Well, wouldn't you rather know that, um, let's say that you die here, all right? Wouldn't you rather know that your faith is suffering here? <laughs> like, wouldn't you like to know that you're going in the wrong direction now so that you can repent and come back to Christ and live for him, honor his name? Humility allows us to say, look, my life trajectory is not going in the right, in the right way. I need to repent. I need to turn and go from the way of the world that leads to hell to the way of God that leads to heaven. I need to turn. I need to make a choice to trust in him and follow his way of love. Well, testing helps us, it helps us make that choice so that we stay receiving what God wants to give us. So we say, thank you, God for not just surprising us at the end. But thank you that you bring suffering now to reveal where our hearts are at so that we can make choices that better receive the mercy and grace that are available through Jesus Christ. And I thank you for that. And I thank you that the suffering that I endure now will lead to a life of joy with you forever. And when I consider how great it is to be with you, this testing is, I don't resent it. It's considered a privilege because in that suffering, I get to demonstrate that I love you and I'm devoted to you. And I want to show you that because I love you. This is a powerful way to live. Can we please take seriously our daily decisions? And not hide behind what Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes as a cheap grace. 
a grace that we use as an excuse to remain sin, uh, sinful, just thinking that we'll get forgiven in the end so we can live however we want. This isn't a, this isn't a gospel that actually wants heaven. It's a gospel that wants selfishness. And God isn't going to bless that. So can we take seriously how we live? You know, I think of, of the opposition that comes in my life. And I think in that moment, Greg, you're being tested right now. And in this test of faith, are you going to stay loving or are you going to go, are you going to kick down over here and get mean and resentful and selfish and self-protected or whatever else it would look like? Are you going to stay loving in this moment? And by his grace and only by his grace can I stay loving, but I choose to trust in his grace that keeps me loving. And I rejoice that grace has enabled me to stay directed toward heaven in that moment. You know, there's something in the human heart that wants to do things that matter. And God says, your life does matter. The choices that you make do matter. And so, will you let yourself have an important life where your decisions really matter? That you're, you're sending a message as to where you're headed. Father, I thank you that you take our choices seriously. I thank you that you have brought suffering into our life to reveal now where our hearts and lives are headed so that we can stay true to you and receive our eternal hope, heaven with you forever. And so God, I pray that we would not be like in Matthew 25, the, uh, the servant who was afraid and was disobedient to the master. And the master called him wicked and lazy. I pray that we would not be wicked and we would not be lazy. But we would prove our trust in you by choosing love, by walking in your grace, believing that your work of the Spirit is sufficient in our lives to enable us to persevere in faith and love. Convict us to live a life that brings honor and glory to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let us be known as that kind of people. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>